Hello, everyone. Welcome to the podcast. This episode is sponsored by Spoken. Spoken is a very convenient way to learn English with messaging apps that you probably already have on your phone. I'm talking about apps like Line or WeChat or WhatsApp or Viber, Facebook Messenger, whatever your favorite messaging platform is, you could get English lessons through that using Spoken. It's basically like having an English coach in your pocket. You get private lessons with trained native speaking instructors. Uh, They will give you expertly crafted English learning content designed to meet your needs specifically. It's ideal for people who need to improve their English for work, travel or tests. Uh, You can do tasks, have lessons on your phone whenever you want. And it's not just a robotic app like Duolingo. There's actually a real person on the other side responding to you and your specific needs. And um, you can do your lessons on your phone in your messaging app. So when you're on the bus or when you're in bed or when you have some spare minutes at work, you can chat with your instructor, do the tasks they send you and get some English practice into your daily life. Sign up with Spoken for a free 60-minute one-to-one private lesson with a trained native speaking instructor and a free assessment of your current English skills. Not bad. To qualify for all of this and for more information, you need to use my link, which is getspoken.com slash LEP, getspoken.com slash LEP, or click a spoken logo on my website. You're listening to Luke's English Podcast. For more information, visit teacherluke.co.uk. Hello, welcome back to the podcast. Here is part two of my conversation with Canadian multilingual stand-up comedy sensation, Sugar Sammy. In our conversation, we're talking mainly about language and comedy. And here's an overview of the main points that come up in this episode. First of all, we talk about the four languages that Sammy speaks. There's a tangent about American TV shows that we both used to watch when we were children and which actually helped Sammy to learn English when he was young. Two of those American TV shows that we mention include Knight Rider, which probably has a different title in your country, but Knight Rider is the one in which David Hasselhoff drives around in a super cool black talking car. Remember that one? Well, in English, that one was called Knight Rider. And then the other show, I don't know if you had this one on TV in your country, but the other show we mention is The Dukes of Hazard, And that one is about two brothers who live on a farm in Georgia, in the deep south of the United States. These two brothers called Bo and Luke Duke... Uh, And they drive around Georgia in an orange Dodge Charger, like this really cool orange car with the number 01 written on the side. Uh, They drive around being chased by local uh, police officers, like stupid local police officers doing lots of jumps and stunts in the car. So that was the Dukes of Hazzard. I don't know if you had Knight Rider and the Dukes of Hazzard on TV in your countries, but I just wanted to kind of perhaps explain those shows a little bit just so that you could identify them. Um, We also talk about accents and copying accents, specifically the question of whether I should 
or indeed can do an impression of an Indian accent on stage, or if that would be inappropriate or unacceptable for some reason. We discuss a language controversy that Sammy was involved in in Quebec, Canada, which included him receiving lots of criticism and even a death threat, essentially for performing a popular show in languages other than French. So he did a very popular show in languages which were not French in Quebec. And in Quebec, they are very protective of the French language there. And it was quite a scandal at the time. We talk about what Sammy does on stage as a comedian, especially his crowd work, which is that skill of improvising moments of comedy by talking directly to members of the audience. This is something that Sammy is known for because he does it very well. Uh, Sammy talks about some tough comedy gigs that he's had in the UK over the years and tells us a story of how he once got heckled by an aggressive audience in Northern Ireland. Um, Heckling is when audience members shout things at you while you're performing. Uh, For a comedian, it can be pretty difficult when you're being heckled, um, but good comics are able to react and respond with funny heckle put-downs, like funny responses that turn an aggressive comment into a funny moment. Then there's a bit about Star Wars at the end, because like me, Sammy is a big fan. We talk briefly about Sammy's favourite episode of Star Wars, what he thought of The Last Jedi, and whether he's interested in seeing the new Han Solo film. And actually, when I recorded this interview, I hadn't seen... uh, Solo, the the Han Solo movie, but since recording it, I have seen it. So I will talk about the Han Solo movie briefly at the end of this episode, uh, giving my non-spoiler review. And I mention that because I have had some um, messages from my, members of my audience who are Star Wars fans saying, "Hey, have you seen Han? Have you seen Solo? What did you think?" So I'll give a little non-spoiler review at the end of this episode. Don't forget that Sammy will be touring parts of Asia soon, this year probably. He has gigs coming up in Malaysia and Singapore, and will be organising dates in China and Japan. He also intends to visit Russia and South America to do shows at some point. So Sammy might be performing comedy near you soon, and you really must go and see him. It's his shows are always funny and you know take it from me i've seen him perform on stage he's a class act he's you know a top level comedian and you really should go and see him if you can to get news of sammy's shows uh, so that you don't miss him visit sugarsammy.com and join his mailing list now then without any further ado let's continue listening to my conversation with the super cool multilingual comedian from canada sugar sammy Language. Uh, how, how many languages do you speak? I speak four languages, but none of that is due to any level of effort or intelligence on my part. It's I grew up speaking those four languages. So my parents are of Indian descent uh, from India. So they moved to Canada, and we had no choice. We had to speak Punjabi at home because they didn't want us to lo- lose the language. So yeah. I always speak Punjabi with my parents. Even when I call them on the phone, I speak Punjabi to them. So I speak English, French, Hindi, and Punjabi. So I spoke. I speak Punjabi to them every day. 
Um, you, you, do, you talk to them every day? Every day. Yeah, I speak to them. Yeah. It's, a, it's another thing. Well, that's another thing that comes with being Indian is the guilt of not calling your parents. Yeah. You cannot get away with not calling your parents every day. You have to at least call them to let, you, let them know you've eaten. <laughs> it's very important <laughs> that they f- know you've eaten. You know that you're sustaining yourself. <laughs> so, uh, so, so, wait, wait, so, so they never speak English to you. Never. But they they do speak English. They do speak English, Just, but never to us. Okay. Yeah, to the to the, we're three kids at home. So, uh, well, we've moved out, but we're right. you know, we're three yeah. we're three uh, siblings. But they speak they speak to us in Punjabis, and 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 it's a great thing because it it made it so that we kept the language, you know. Yeah. And we kept practicing it. Which part of India is that then, uh, where they speak Punjabi? A uh, Punjab, yeah. yeah, the province of Punjab, right? Yeah, pretty simple. Yeah, it makes sense. <laughs> Just add an I, and the language is built. And there you go. Yeah, so uh, it's the northern part. Um, it's uh, it's uh, and uh, to me, you know, it, I'm so lucky that that I had that growing up. Yeah, and then you know, I'm in Canada's. I'm in Montreal. I'm based out of Montreal, so I learned. Uh, English just by hanging out with my friends in the neighborhood and by watching American television. I'm a big fan of American TV growing up, you know. Uh, my era, I mean, I don't know if everybody listening knows these shows. Maybe same, we're the same, same age. Same, yeah, same age. Pretty much. So, Knight Rider. Yeah. Dukes of Hazard. Yeah, totally. Yeah. yeah. Magnum PI. Right. Right. Airwolf. Yeah. All the action. <laughs> Give me a vehicle. And some dudes who can run the vehicle. There were, and we're, we're there were a lot of shows about a couple of guys and an, and an awesome vehicle. Yeah, solving crime. Yeah. That's it. There was there was uh, Knight Rider with the intelligent car. Yeah. There was, uh, what was the one with the motorbike? Uh, Nighthawk. Yeah. Nighthawk. Yeah, and there was Airwolf with the, uh, with the uh, helicopter. helicopter. Yeah, uh, Dukes of Hazard with the uh, the rednecks. Now looking back, I was like, I can't believe I like that. But oh, no, it was a yeah. couple of rednecks yeah. who probably had sex with their cousin Daisy Duke. That was the there was a sort of hint of that going on. Yeah, yeah. right. Uh, <laughs> looking back, you like okay, these two probably had sex with their cousin at the same time. So I, so, I was, <laughs> so and the car doors that wouldn't open. So we were fascinated. Yeah, why, by that. Why, yeah, they had to jump through the windows. Through the windows, and they never got the door fixed. You're like, dude. Yeah. Get the door fixed. You've been solving so many crimes. Mm, mm. The stupid sheriff and the deputy. The yeah. deputy was more intelligent than the sheriff, but they were both dumb. Yeah, that's right. And they never got to catch the dukes. It's like, dude, you know where they live. <laughs> like, you know where their house is. Just wait there. Yeah. Wait for them to show up. And they'll be there at one point. But they just kept chasing them. Boss yeah. Hog, remember? I remember Boss Hog. Yeah, yeah. Boss Hog. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and they all had different uh, uh, handles on CB radios. That's like, right. What is it? Uh, sh- uh, shepherd to last sheep. Shepherd yeah. to last sheep. Come in, last sheep. <laughs> <laughs> Can you believe Indians love that show? Like, I like that show. I'm like, you know, if I went there, they'd probably start burning crosses. Yeah. Like at my arrival. And yeah, if, if the Indian guy had actually come to America in order to meet the Dukes of Hazard. Like, I love the, I don't know how, he'd arrive in, in the airport and yeah. be like, you know, why are you here? You know, I just love the Dukes of Hazard and yeah. I just really want to meet those guys. <laughs> I'm like, okay, good luck. Yeah. And then he, he goes off to that, wherever that town is in Hicksville. Hazard, yeah. Hazard, yeah. yeah. And he turns up and he's like, hi, I'm here to see the Dukes of Hazard. And uh, yeah, they just beat him up. Yeah. And then they look at me and go, what you reading for? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. What you reading for, Looks boy? Like we got ourselves a reader. <laughs> a reader. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, Dukes of Hazard. What else was there? Magnum PI. Remember Magnum PI? Oh uh, yeah, Ma- Magnum PI with Tom, Tom Selleck. Selleck and his mustache. Yeah, mustache, and he had, I think, a Ferrari or a Lamborghini. I forget. Uh, uh, 
Uh, it was an open top car. Yeah. Set in Florida, wasn't it? No, in Hawaii. Hawaii. Yeah. Right. Great show. Yeah. Yeah. Love that. You know, you know what? A lot of those shows I wasn't allowed to watch. My parents wouldn't let me watch some of those shows. Yet you remember. Yeah, I remember them <laughs> because I did manage to watch some of the episodes yeah. and I used to hear other kids in my school talking about them. Oh, wow. Do you know why we weren't allowed to watch some of those shows? Because they were on ITV. ITV. So back in the day when I was growing up, there were four channels on, on TV in right. the UK. BBC One, BBC Two, ITV, and then Channel Four. Right. right. ITV and Channel Four were commercial stations. ITV was kind of... Like working class, the working class, you know, oh. and uh, so I lived in a BBC household. My dad worked for the BBC, right. and uh, so I grew up in a BBC household. And my mum was like, "No, no, we don't watch ITV in this." In this wow, house. yeah, television snobbery, it totally. Yeah, oh my god, yeah. So I wasn't allowed to watch, yeah, the A Team or Knight Rider, but I used to always watch the A Team and right. Knight Rider. So what did you watch? Did you watch like Coronation Street? No, oh. that was on ITV. Was that? But that was okay. Coronation Street was okay. My mum used to watch that, but I, I wasn't interested in yeah, Coronation Street. Yeah, that took place in Manchester. Yeah, that's right. Which yeah. is uh, my favorite city in England. Yeah. I love Manchester. All right, man. All right. Sugar Sammy, man. Yeah. <laughs> All right. You're fucking funny, you are, man. <laughs> Oasis. It was Oasis, Oasis. for Manchester? Yeah, totally, oh, yeah. man. Oasis. All right. I love man, those guys. Oasis, those man. Best, best fucking band in the world, man. You know what I mean? Yeah. I love that accent. Look at that. Yeah. Those guys used to just pee anywhere, right? <laughs> <laughs> those guys. Remember that? It's like, ah. Uh, I'm just going to piss here in yeah. the... Rock and roll, man. Rock and roll, man. Just pee anywhere. Urinate anywhere. I'm a rock and roll star, man. I pee where I want. You know what I mean? Uh, now they've gotten older, they wish they couldn't pee everywhere. Like, <laughs> and they, like, they just end up peeing everywhere. Like, I wish I could hold No that. bladder control. No bladder Got control. No bladder control, man. You <laughs> know what I mean? Um, uh, so, uh, yeah. No, what we used to watch was stuff like uh, Doctor Who. Oh, right. Doctor Who was great. I remember mm. that. In the phone booth. I used yeah. to time travel in the phone yeah. booth. And we, we used to watch the Dukes of Hazard because that was on the BBC. Wow. No guns in it, that's why. Oh, right. Never did any shooting. Yeah, they right? solved crime with, like, they a used c- to slap people. That's yeah. it. That was yeah. as far as it went. Or they'd just, do a, they'd just do a big skid in the car. And, that's it. And just win by being awesome. <laughs> <laughs> and chips. Do you remember chips? Yeah. I, I used to love chips. Motorbike uh, cops. Motorbike cops. But here's the thing. I always thought chips was amazing and these guys were some next level crime solvers and i watch it as an adult and they're just traffic cops <laughs> they're just a couple of dudes giving tickets all day that's what it is yeah that's right yeah. that's right so my audience have no idea what we're talking about now they i'm sure they do look up these shows if you if you don't know what they are but look them up and and yeah. and you'll be fascinated what we liked in the 80s they had they i'm sure they had different names in, in different <laughs> countries you know there's the there's the one with the the black uh, intelligent car and david hasselhoff there's the one with the two hillbilly rednecks and an orange car that's the dukes of hazard there was the yeah we've been through it fine uh, okay um what's i gonna say so i was doing a stand-up show i'm asking you this because it's a question about accents and sort of i guess something to do with politics or something right. but uh i just wonder what you think about it so i was i was doing a show recently and afterwards a couple of guys came up to me they were from india right so a couple of indian guys in paris for some reason and they came up to me and i in my show i'd been doing like american accents i did an australian accent i did a few different accents right. and afterwards they said to me you know what you should do uh, uh you should do indian accents on stage right and I said to him, no, I can't. Yeah. Can't do that. And they're like, why not? And I was, and I was like, I just, I think it, I wouldn't, uh, I'd get into trouble. It would be inappropriate. Yeah. And they were, and, and I was trying to convince them 
why it was a bad idea. It, it would be offensive right. for me to do an Indian accent. And they were trying to convince me as Indian guys, <laughs> no, 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 you really should do it. They were like, let's get him beat up. <laughs> <laughs> well, What's going on there, do you think, then? Okay, here's the thing. I do accents sometimes, but I don't just do accents from an outside point of view. When I do accents, uh, it's about – it's precise, meaning it's about someone I know and I don't imitate a culture. I imitate that person. Yeah. And so it has to be so precise and has to be right on. And someone who's lived in that culture knows when you know someone in that culture and can tell when you've been around it. Yeah. Enough where you've done your research, where you've actually spent time instead of just doing it as a caricature. That's when it turns into insult. When it's like caricature and it's like you didn't really do your research. Mm. But when it's spot on and the mannerisms are spot on, and like, oh, this guy did his research and it's funny. Look, if I look at someone like, okay, and I think I should have been offended by this and I wasn't. And I knew exactly why as soon as I watched the movie. Mm. Someone told me, you've got to see, and I hadn't watched it yet. This was maybe 10 years ago. 15 years ago you've got to watch peter sellers the party and i was like what is it oh it's this guy plays an indian guy who's a an actor he's like an extra and gets into trouble i'm like oh and he's like he's disguised as an indian but it's perfect and i was like he's an english actor english actor just peter sellers yeah playing an indian guy with brown face and i'm like this is gonna be so insulting i wa- i start watching the movie and within two minutes, he had me. Why? Because every single mannerism, every single movement, every single word out of his mouth, every single eye movement yeah. reminded me of my uncles. Yeah. And I was like, this guy has nailed it down. <laughs> yeah. He has lived around Indian people. He followed someone for months and did his homework. And this is absolutely hilarious. And it's mm. funny. And the writing was great. So the whole thing was, to me, mm. it's still a classic. And Indian people, my, my dad and I watched it together and laughed our butts off. Because he took the time and the respect to actually do it well and study it. And not just be Apu from The Simpsons, which yeah. turns into a, a caricature. caricature. Right, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's the thing. But you know what? Also... I feel like if I, even if I did it well, if I did my research and I got like a, an Indian accent really good and I had some, somehow I managed to get some really good material out of it that was like personal and yeah. stuff like that. And I did that. I'm sure there'd still be some people in the audience who would be offended uh, on behalf of Indian people. The white people will be offended. Yeah. Yeah. Because they think they're there protecting which is why it was interesting to me that these two indian guys were like really trying to convince yeah. me to do indian accents on stage and and i was trying to convince them that i shouldn't because it would be offensive and they yeah. were like no 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 it wouldn't be and i'd be like well sorry i'm not yeah. i'm not going to do it well you have to get it down if you have it down yeah and you have someone that you like you say okay well hey my friend you know uh, ashok told me the other day you know he just came from india and this is how he spoke and this is what he said it could work. You could yeah. actually even make a joke about those two guys convincing you right. to yeah. do that, that accent and then talk about how you know white people are going to get offended. And you're like, it's not the Indians who worry me. It's those white people who then get on Twitter and build an army for an afternoon and then try to bring hate down to yours. And then, you know, then, then there's like a big protest outside your house yeah. for some reason and not one Indian person is involved <laughs> <laughs> in that protest. Um, and, uh, uh, yeah, you, you know what I could it. even do is have the conversation, reenact the conversation I had with those two guys, but I'm doing an Indian accent whenever they speak. 
And it's actually an argument where they're trying to convince me to do it. Yeah. And I'm saying, no, 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 it's really offensive yeah. in an English accent. You know? Yeah. That could be kind of funny. Yeah, that's, I think that's going to be really funny. It's like, no, you must do this accent. And you're like, no, 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 no I don't really want to do this. No, no, you must do it. Because if you do the accent, then we will hang out with you, Luke. And we will get all the peripheral pussy that you rejected because you're married with a child. <laughs> exactly yeah exactly oh dear that could turn into something big yeah but i mean here's the thing it's like you have to attempt right and then i will say when people get offended fuck them yeah okay that always works for me fuck really? them just fuck it fuck, fuck him fuck, fuck them i got an audience they'll yeah. come out fuck everybody else. okay fine Good. let people get offended it's actually good for business is it really yeah so you um, <laughs> talking of being offended and it being good for business and stuff. What what went down with you in Quebec then? Because there was a big issue with language and um, you caused some trouble right. in Quebec. Tell us that story. If well, you would. the thing in Quebec is it's a very complex place, right? In terms of uh, it's the it's the only French province within Canada and it's one of the only French speaking cultures it's the only French speaking culture maybe besides Louisiana a little bit in North America and it's really bent on preserving its its language but also its culture but here's what happens this is this is something I find is important like my parents want to preserve the language and the culture within the household make sure we speak different languages great uh, and a lot of people want to do that make sure the culture and the language doesn't get lost great uh, and there are a lot of people in Quebec who uh, believe that that's important. And I agree with them that we must make sure we don't lose the French language. Because for me, I, I love the fact that I spoke it and that I still speak it. And I love the fact that um, I know so much about Quebecois culture and I'm part of it. Mm-hmm. However, just as in any debate about preserving language and culture, there's a strong nationalist undertone that sometimes come in, comes into it. And that we've seen in France, we've seen in Germany, we've seen in the USA, we've seen, we've seen it everywhere. And in Quebec, it's no different. There's this part of the, the you know, Quebec independence movement that is so strongly nationalist that sometimes it turns into, um, it turns into, you know, it turns into hate for other cultures and yeah. other other uh, you know for for other people from other countries and other languages and it's like we want to preserve it so much that everything else is a threat and yeah. then everything else is a threat turns into uh, these people should go back home to right. their country. so right. Right. but there's there's another part of the sovereignty movement that actually wants to be like hey no we want to preserve all this but everybody else is included with us mm-hmm. and we want to build a culture and a nation together which is fine but then there's that other part, and that we see that in France as well, you know, uh, and we see that in different parts of uh, the world, and that's where it becomes dangerous. And I make fun of those people, and when yeah. I make fun of those people, uh, those people react. So I get into trouble with them, but at the same time, uh, you know, the majority is kind of on my side for that. And uh, and the thing is, without them existing, my comedy wouldn't be uh, pertinent. It wouldn't, it wouldn't, I wouldn't have any purpose. I'd be talking to the air. Yeah. So it's almost like I'm, it's an honest and severe critique of Quebec culture, but that part of it that exists, that ugly part that's there, you know, that always comes out and says, go back to your country and we don't want your kind over here. And I'm like, I'm born here. 
Uh, so I don't know where to go. I keep driving in circles. Like <laughs> I've been driving in circles for four days. Like where do you want me to go? <laughs> so so uh, to me that that's something that I always found uh, fascinating, and I always wanted to critique. And, and no comedian in Quebec has since or ever done that uh, for fear of backlash. Because interestingly, a lot of people in the Quebec popular culture are sovereignists and independent. Independentist, um, uh, as they say, sovereignists, and they right. they want and they and it's. It's taboo to say that I want to be Quebecois and Canadian and I want to speak multiple languages and be part of multiple cultures, even though it's the silent majority in Quebec. So there's a silent majority that just kind of shuts up and votes. Mm. <laughs> and then there's this minority that really is loud and is all over TV. And I'm the only one who does it, who actually represents the silent majority. Yeah. Right. The only one, in, in, including song and actors and TV personalities, the only one. So I've built myself a good niche there. Yeah, I guess you have. Yeah. yeah. Because the media there is, is, is uh, Quebec media is all about then the, the Quebec sort of sovereignty. A, bi- a big part of it is. Yeah. Not all. Okay. A big part no. of it is not unbiased, you right. know, and has that, you see it, you turn on, there are a couple of big TV stations there that you turn it on and that's the dialogue and it's always in the undertones. And even a TV show that I did in my, in my live stand-up show there that had so much success was the first time you'd see a, a federalist point of view on, on TV or on stage in Quebec. So I think that was something that was very interesting to people and a threat to a lot of other people because they thought, you know, this Indian guy is going to do this and everybody's going to like it and now we're going to lose everything and i'm like well maybe the movement wasn't strong in the first place if some dude with a couple of jokes you know turned the tide completely you know it's like that's that's all it took yeah. <laughs> that's all it took is a couple of numbers and a couple of swear words for people to go mm, this might be a good idea forget this forget right. the rest right. he's right you right know? right absolutely i see okay D- didn't you receive a death threat about this as well i did that's, yeah. That must have been nice. So many spelling mistakes, though. Seriously. <laughs> I was like, ah, we got to correct these spelling mistakes and send it back to him. Um, yeah, I did receive a death threat. I, I, I got a lot of hate mail because of that. Mm. But, you know, you read the hate mail and it it's almost self-explanatory. A lot of it is go back to your country, ah, you fucking Indian guy, or blah, blah, blah. You oh, know, so, well, fuck them. So, yeah, so you read that and you go, okay, well, you're proving – my point and everybody else's point so you know i kind of save those for my next show okay yeah because i'm gonna read them on stage wonderful yeah great i actually used a couple in my commercial promoting my shows where they've sent me hate mail and i speak to the camera and i'd show the hate mail the hate hate uh messages yeah and i'd actually correct the grammar and the uh, yeah. <laughs> and the spelling yeah. on tv and yeah. say, oh, by the way, we have to add an S here and an ENT <laughs> because uh, you have to uh, conjugate this and this. This is how you conjugate uh, <laughs> strangle. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Thank you very much. <laughs> okay. Uh, I want to talk to you about what you do on stage. Um, and because uh, uh, as well as doing the material that you write, uh, you do a lot of uh, crowd work. Yeah. Uh, what is crowd work? Because some of my audience won't know what crowd work is. Wow. What is it? Crowd work is actually acknowledging that your audience is in front of you uh, instead of just telling jokes and not looking at them and not engaging with them and having a little bit of a dialogue with them, you know, and bouncing off of them uh, for material. So I like that because it kind of it makes me 
it immerses me within the audience and it makes me um, it gets me involved every night you know because it's easy after 300 shows to just kind of do it on autopilot if you don't come in with the mindset but for me the fact that I'm always talking to the audience and throwing in my material uh, makes it so that I'm always uh, I'm always on my feet I'm always ready to react I'm always ready to um, and I'm always involved in every single show and every single show is special you know yeah and that, I think that's important and you see that with concerts sometimes like you'll watch like go on YouTube and like follow your favorite band for 10 cities like they, everybody has YouTube videos of like let's say they'll go see someone and they'll put up like let's say Coldplay they'll have Coldplay in Munich they'll have Coldplay in London they'll have Coldplay and it almost feels like they're just going through the motions eventually you know where they're like the first couple they're probably excited to go back on tour I'm not saying this as Coldplay I'm saying any of any band and then eventually they're just kind of going through their set list they have it down they know what it's about they're gonna go see their audience mm. Make their payday and leave. For me, it's like every show has to be different. It has to be different for me. It has to be different for the audience. It has to feel like I'm actually there. I want to be there. And I love getting to know them as much as they're getting to know me. Yeah. That's so important to me because that makes – I always feel the audience gets so connected with me. And that's important because that connection with your artist, to me, that's what I love about artists is when I'll go see a show – or I'll listen to an album and I'll be like, man, I just feel like, you know, intertwined with what they're doing and what they're saying. Yeah. It, it connects in such a big way. And then I'm a fan for life. Yeah. yeah. And I, 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 to me, that's always been that feeling has been important. And being having gone to so many concerts, I've only experienced that, I would say, a handful of times. Yeah. The rest of the time, I always felt like, yeah, I know these this music. But I can tell that they, they do this every night. They did this in Toronto last night. They did this in Chicago the night before. And they kind of went through the same motions and got the and said the same thing to the audience. You're the best audience we've had. And yeah. We, yeah. you know, I have to say by far, you right. know, and then they'll they'll mess up the city. That yeah. Detroit, oops, oh, sorry, I mean. Cleveland, yeah, Cleveland. Cleveland is the best. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, I think um, I think that's uh, that's important is like where you really like, yes, I want to make this as good a show as last night. I want to feel great as much as you do. But you're not just interacting with your audience. You're also making up uh, comedy uh, on the spur of the moment, improvising comedy based on the things that the, the audience says, right? Yeah. Which is, uh, you know, that's really cool. I mean, some might say that's like what the essence of, of stand-up is like, not just being able to write the material and perform it, but being able to read the room and, and improvise off the, the things that they, they say. I mean, uh, have you always been able to do that? I mean, not in the beginning, no. Uh, this is something I developed, you know, over the years because I, you know, I used to, I did so many shows all over the world that it, eventually, you know, I felt like I had to, to build a connection, play with the audience a little bit. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. In England, I remember I used to host sometimes at the comedy store. I had, you know, or even performing, I'd do a 20 minute set. Yeah. And <clears throat> I got to say, your people are the biggest hecklers I have ever seen in my life. And... And the biggest drinkers. And those two so, combinations. So proud, right? So proud, exactly. And you guys are proud about it. Those two combos yeah. together make for a, a very disruptive audience. And the thing is, if you're not ready on your feet, yeah. and they're clever, 
The British are clever. They have great comebacks. If you're not ready to destroy <laughs> and to put that person back in, in their place, man, the, the rest of the audience become like vultures. Yeah, there, there is that sort of culture of stand-up in the UK, and I guess in the States and Canada too, but certainly in the UK, there is that feeling of when a, a stand-up is on stage that the audience are there to... There's a sort of a battle going on, and the audience might heckle and you know call things out and, and stuff like that to test the comedian yeah. because what the Brits want is the comedian to to respond no, no, to fail it, fail <laughs> and die on their ass yeah. or or respond with something great yeah exactly. and if you respond with something great then you will be you're you're, you're the best yeah. you know if not then the king then the king will chop your head chop off. your head off yeah exactly but, but that's it and and with the with the British audience they get because I, th- I feel like with the British audience, they all feel like they should be up there. Yeah. They're all like, where the fuck are you up there, mate? Where the fuck are you? Where are you doing? You know, like, Every Brit is, thinks they're an expert in comedy. Or they, they should have been the artist that they're not, yeah. right? They should have been the singer. Like, I always feel like when I hang out with British people, they start singing Adele out of nowhere. <laughs> and you're like, why are you doing this? And like, uh, you know. I, you know, people say I could sing. I'm like, who are these people? Like, <laughs> the people no, in my head? Yeah, yeah. I don't think, no. I think you should get new people to speak to. <laughs> but, uh, so, so, uh, and, and I, I always feel like they're like those artists who, they, they all should have been that artist, you know? Yeah, 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 perhaps, yeah. yeah. Um, uh, any, any experiences of doing shows in the UK where you got a particularly nasty heckle or oh, bad gigs in the UK? Yeah, but I can't. I don't know if I should talk about this. It's really aggressive. I mean, oh, here's really? yeah, I've had well, experiences. Yeah. Well, listen, I remember going to one of the worst shows I've ever had was in Northern Ireland. Oh yes, Northern Ireland. Northern Northern Ireland. Yeah, they don't come to watch. They come to fight. Like they <laughs> came. I went to this. I forget what the club was called, but it was like a gig where I flew in. I did the gig, and. It was like 45 minutes, and this is a club where there were no seats. Everybody was standing and drinking beers. So I come out, they introduce me, and I have to do the 45. So I come out, and they start heckling right away. What were they saying? Oh, I was like, uh, you know, um, I'd, everything. I'd be like, uh, my girlfriend, and then one guy goes, what's her name? What's his name? <laughs> like, right. Yeah, right. Or other. What's his name? Oh, what's his name? Yeah. It's this quite, <laughs> kind of slightly scary accent. Exactly. And sometimes I didn't understand. I'd ask them to repeat, and then like four or five of them would start yelling back. And I was like, it was the longest 45 minutes of my life. I got off stage and I told the manager, I was like, man, that was a tough gig. And he was like, that's one of the best gigs we've ever had. <laughs> he was like, wow, you finished it. I was like, <laughs> he's like, no one finishes this gig. Yeah. Oh, man. I was like, and he said that was the, one of the best gigs we've had. I was like, okay. I got wow. in a cab, went back to the hotel, flew out, forgot about that gig later. But that was one of the worst. And then um, I remember at one point when I was in the UK for three months, I was touring the UK. I was doing all the club circuit. I was doing Jonglers, Comedy Store, a bunch oh, of other yeah, one-nighters, yeah. the Hyena in, yeah. in uh, Newcastle. And at one point, I remember I had to get so strong on stage in terms of the heckling, mm-hmm. responding back to the audience. I got mean. Mm-hmm. And like – on a UK level, you know, which is it's just, <laughs> on a national level, on a national level where I was like mean, but the audience loved it. And I remember going back to Canada and still having that because, you know, you're performing at this type of level in this way. And I'd be as mean on stage 
And for the first week, you could see audience just, you know, Canadians are very nice people, especially English Canada. And they're like, oh, my God, (laughs) why are you doing that? And I remember I had to re-Canadianize myself and go, geez, I should become a nice person again. I've become this complete asshole in the UK on stage. I need to bring it down a couple of levels. And I had to do that. So I'm looking forward to going back to the UK and, and, and... and pushing the limits a little bit more right. too. Edinburgh, have you ever done that? No, I heard Edinburgh's a shit show. I heard it used to be amazing, but I heard now there are like thousands of shows yes. every day. Yeah. And you go out there, first of all, you get destroyed financially. You get destroyed by the critics because they're all there looking for the next guy who's going to say something clever about microbiology because they're so particularly uh, jaded at this point. And... Um, you know, I don't think it's Edinburgh's for stand-up. You need to have that one-man show with a theme and change yeah. the world, right? Yeah, that's right. Um, so I've never thought it was a good idea, and I never thought it was going to bring me anything. I mean, I go to the UK. I want to do the clubs. Then I want to probably do some TV and theater and theaters. You know, like mm-hmm. I want to go and and build my following that way. But I don't think Edinburgh's the way anymore. In in a sense, I heard it used to be twenty years ago, where if you had a great show and you're in Edinburgh. You know, it would it would uh, it would um, it would definitely uh, help your career in yeah. the UK in a big yeah. way. But yeah. now I heard yeah. it's like the biggest racket in the world. It's e- like a big scam. Now. Every man and his dog now in the UK is a stand-up comedian. Yeah, uh, there's just so many of of us now. They're multiplying in 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 especially in London, just constantly. But there's like, you know, like, um, you know, like in computer games and yeah. you get like a spawn point yeah. in a computer game where it's just like random enemies just being spawned in, yeah. in certain locations. <laughs> it's the same thing. It's just comedians. There are spawn points in all over central London where comedians just keep popping up every every week. And everybody's got their one man show. That's well, they yeah, they, they're all they're all doing Edinburgh previews and all this right. stuff. And then they go to Edinburgh and. Uh, and yeah, I've never been there, but um, I've had lots of stories from friends of you know mine who've gone up there and lost money, and yeah. you know they they come back completely broken, they're yeah. completely exhausted. Yeah. I think it's probably good for the stage time and networking with other comedians and stuff, but yeah, I mean it's just saturated um, now. Yeah, yeah. it was like, a, like one of the worst months you'll ever have. And so I'm like, well, no, I'm just going to take August off. Yeah. And I'll spend that money and go on vacation. Yeah, go and... Uh, take a little breather. Right. Go and go to the French countryside. Why not? Or something like that, yeah. Um, I could just keep talking to you for ages. Um, uh, you're a Star Wars fan, aren't you? Oh, yeah. Yeah, okay. Oh, yeah. I, I don't know if this is the best way to end our conversation. I feel like I should end on some big conclusion. Star Wars is the best way to end. It's universal. It's almost a religion. There's so many lessons to be learned from Star Wars. Every single country listening knows Star Wars or has right. seen Star Wars. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. Um, so, uh, favorite episode? Oh, Empire Strikes Back. Uh-huh. I mean, you can't go wrong. That's the best one. Yeah. So much going on. Uh, so many different worlds, first of all. Different layers, different twists, uh, depth. Look, there's uh, such a family story in there, you know? I mean, the father and the son, the brother and sister making out. That needs to be talked about more. 
Yeah. That went into Dukes of Hazard territory. A little bit. A little bit. Yeah. And uh, they kind of swept it under the carpet, didn't they, in the third yeah. film? Yeah. Your brother. And you could tell. It's like, I remember when Han Solo kissed Leia in Return of the Jedi. And she's like, you lo-, he's like, you love Luke, don't you? She's like, yeah, of course. He's like, okay. I'll I stay understand. out of the way. I, I understand. I understand. I'll stay out of the way. She's like, it's not like that. He's my brother. Then they kiss. And you can see there's a moment where he's reflecting, probably thinking about the Empire Strikes Back and going, what about that fucking makeout yeah. on the snow planet? That you had in front of me. But also in his head, he's thinking, maybe they, maybe they had sex. But also at the same time, he's going, ah, never mind. Yeah. She looks good in the bikini at Jabba's Palace. Yeah. Not that I could see I was blinded because I just came out of car. But, I, but I was told stories. Chewbacca explained it yeah. all in detail. <laughs> he, took a, he took a photo. Snack <laughs> it to me. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I love Star Wars. I, um, you know, uh, I, I actually loved the new one. Yeah, me too. And, yeah. And there are a lot of people on the internet who just decided, you know what? And there was this movement about, we hate this. It's not my Star Wars. I honestly think there were so many twists in that Star Wars. It was so well written, so well put together that um, yeah, I'm, I, I feel like I'm not trusting the, the, the internet anymore. Yeah. Like, I just feel like people are out there. And no matter what someone does, it could be a masterpiece. They'll hate it unless it was already stamped as a masterpiece in the 70s and 80s. They can't go and turn on Bohemian Rhapsody now because yeah. it's – or The Godfather Part 1 and 2. But if I think if The Godfather came out today, the internet would find a way yeah. to dissect it and hate on it and say how it's sexist yeah. and it's racist right. and it probably offended everybody and – Mm. Changed the world in mm. a bad way. Mm. Also, the the start the new Star Wars film <coughs> didn't fit in with the uh, the theories that everyone had, which is why I loved it. Yeah, exactly. Like uh, Supreme Leader Snoke, everyone had been for like however long it was a year, a year and a half. People had been speculating on the backstory. They'd come up with the whole movie in their heads, and the film didn't match that. And they're like, you know, this movie sucked. It didn't. It wasn't the same as like my version of the film. Yeah. Um, well, yeah. stay at home then. Right. Stay at home. Make your own movie. Make your own movie. Uh, do some drawings and share that with your nerdy <laughs> friends your, you know, who, who, who want to see that movie. Yeah. But I love that movie. I thought, I thought uh, Ryan Johnson did a, a wonderful job. Yeah, me too. I, I really, really liked it. I talked about it on this podcast for about three and a half hours. <laughs> ah, and, and rightly so. I think after Empire, that's my favorite one. Mm. Yeah, yeah, I'd go, I'd go along with that. Yeah, yeah I and loved it, it too. and very close. It's very close, and I loved it. I thought it was great. Have you, are you going to see the Han Solo film? I am going to see. It. I'm going to see it. Listen, uh, it was. It's been so crazy the last couple of days mm. that I haven't had a chance. Mm-hmm. I'm almost afraid to see it because he's my favorite character. Yeah, you know. But I want to. I want to see it. Um, I'm going to probably see it in the next few days. Okay. Yeah, but I'm afraid to see it because you know Harrison Ford will always be Han Solo. Uh, but you know I love Star Wars so I'll always give it a shot as long as they have the right sound effects for the blasters yeah uh, that's right and it's good to see the you know the origin see how Han Solo started uh, you know started off I was definitely hurt when he died in episode 7 yeah yeah oh yeah oh especially if he's your favorite character my favorite character and it got me but I knew it was gonna happen Mm -hmm. because I'd read the spoilers but it just the fact that it got confirmed is so dramatic. It got me. It's a well-handled scene. Yeah. But uh, there, you know, some people were speculating, oh, maybe he's not dead. 
But he did get stabbed through the heart by a lightsaber. Then he fell into the heart of a planet, which then exploded. Yeah, it's done. So I think he's probably dead. Yeah, I think it's pretty much done, guys. Yeah, I, I guess so. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, good. I, I wanted to get a bit of Star Wars chat in there at the end as yeah. well, because uh, it's always nice to speak to a fellow fan. <laughs> yeah. Um, Sammy, thanks so much for talking to me and my audience on the podcast. It's All been right. a pleasure. Hey, pleasure, pleasure's mine. Everybody listening, make sure you sign up on my website. Come check me out on Facebook, on Twitter, Instagram. Follow me everywhere because I'm going to be coming to your country eventually. Yeah. You said uh, Malaysia, Singapore, yeah. and then uh, potentially China, Ch- Japan. Yeah, China, Japan. I have some offers coming in. So uh, I'd love to have a friend over there who actually organizes comedy. In Japan, he actually has a circuit. Oh, he does? Yeah. You've you've already got that set up then, yeah? Yeah, yeah. So he wants to do it. He's just looking for the right time for me to come down. Yeah. So make sure you guys sign up, and I'll let you know when I'm there in Japan, in China, and Malaysia, Singapore. I'm going uh, in not too long, but I'll probably be going often enough in Asia right now. Yeah. Yeah, I'm actually doing something for on TV in Asia. It's going to be broadcast in, in 18 countries. So make sure you sign up and I'll let you know where and when and everything. Yeah. yeah. Other countries too, USA, UK, and uh, I'd love to do Russia. If there's anybody organizing stand-up comedy in Russia, let me know because I've always had a fascination for Russia. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, cool. And, and people in Paris, you've you got a show happening at the moment? Yeah. So every Thursday, Friday, Saturday at La Lambra. So it's a 600-seater, pretty good theater in Place de la République. And I'll be back uh, quite often in France. I'll be based here pretty often for the, for, the la- for the next two years. Okay, brilliant. Good, 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 good. Well, hopefully I'll speak to you again maybe at some point. Uh, maybe when you've got some like, dates or arranged or when you come back or something. You know, well, we let's do this again. We could just yeah. do a whole thing about Star Wars. Yeah, yeah I'd love to, yeah. All right. <laughs> So there you go. That was Sugar Sammy on Luke's English Podcast. Uh, That was a real treat uh, as far as I'm concerned. And I hope you agree with me um, that it was a treat uh, to be able to have uh, Sugar Sammy um, talking to us like that. I thought it was wicked. I had a really good time talking to him. And uh, who knows? Maybe he'll come back on the podcast at some point and we can talk about other things. And, you know, I'm sure there are plenty of other things that we could uh, go into. Remember sugarsammy.com join the mailing list and Bob's your uncle uh, make sure that you go out and see him if he performs nearby soon you must go and see him and sit on the front row okay sit at the front uh, because he will talk to you uh, but you, you all you need to do is just relax and enjoy the show and if he does talk to you uh, just, you know, just re- answer his questions and just see what he does. I'm sure he'll find ways of um, making some very funny comedy just from the interactions that he has with you and with other members of the audience. Uh, don't be shy. You know, when you go to a stand-up comedy show in English, um, sitting on the front row might mean that you uh, that the comedian will talk to you. Uh, but it's a good idea. Usually, if it's a good comedian, you'll have a great show. Um, I mean, it's 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 really good. It's it's great to be involved in the show and to have the comedian sort of um, pick on you a little bit. It's all part of the fun. Um, anyway, anyway, anyway. So I did say at the beginning of this episode that I would talk a little bit more about the new Star Wars film, uh, which is called Solo, in English anyway. It's the Hatton's... 
<clears throat> it's the Han Solo film, Solo. So for those of you who are Star Wars fans, I'm now going to talk about that. Um, it was released last month. If you're not a Star Wars fan, um, well, um, hopefully you'll, you'll stick around. Um, there won't be any spoilers in this, in this uh, little review I'm going to give here. So if you were thinking about going to see the film, you can still listen to this. It, won't, it shouldn't spoil the film for you. Uh, if you're not a Star Wars fan, well, I, I don't know. I suppose you could just sort of go and do something else now, couldn't you? But I hope you all stick around anyway. But anyway, this bit really, I suppose, is for that section of my audience who shares my enthusiasm for Star Wars. I mean, I'm not, I'm not a kind of... Um, what's the word for it? I'm not a completely obsessed fan and i and i'm not i don't have a, a lack of uh critical um thinking relating to star wars because some of the films i don't like so it's not like i just love all of the star wars films and that's it um there are certainly ones that i like and ones that i don't like and i also recognize that it's you know probably quite a geeky thing and ultimately star wars is a, a, a series of films for kids isn't it I don't know. Anyway, I'm not going to get into all that. I'm now going to talk about Solo, a Star Wars story. So here we go. Right, so yes, it's called Solo, a a Star Wars story. And this is one of those Star Wars films that's not really part of the uh, Skywalker narrative. So it's not one of the official episodes. It's a kind of a side story. And they call these Star Wars stories. So this is the second Star Wars story that we've had. The first one being Rogue One, uh, which was released a few years ago. So um, it's, it's an origins story all about uh, Han Solo, who is one of the most beloved characters in the Star Wars universe. Uh, he was obviously played by Harrison Ford in the original films. Harrison Ford made Han Solo into an iconic character. And, I mean, like, for example, Sammy uh, in this episode said that Han Solo is his favourite character. For many people, Han Solo is their favourite character. And he's just really close to people's hearts. And largely, I think, to do with Harrison Ford's performance, he really brought great levels of charisma and charm to that role. Uh, but also the way Han Solo was written, just the, the idea of this kind of, um, he's, he's a bit like a cowboy, a bit like a space cowboy or something like that. Uh, but th- this one is an origin story. So we get to see the backstory of Han Solo and maybe sort of how he uh, developed as a character, how he became the Han Solo that we, uh, that we got to see in the original films. So this is kind of like some of his background, some of his backstory. Um, I was quite sceptical about the film before I went to see it. Um, as you heard me mention a couple of times in, in this podcast recently, you know, I, I mentioned that I was quite sceptical about it. I, I didn't have very high expectations, partly because the production for the film seems to be quite troubled. Uh, the news that I got about the way in which Solo was being made was not very promising. Uh, production was troubled, which is not usually a good sign. Often when you hear that um, a film has a complicated and troubled production process, it often means that the, the end product is not very good. Uh, but not necessarily. Um, it's not necessarily a guarantee of a bad film. 
sometimes films change directors during the production process. Sometimes you hear about films that have very complicated and, and problematic um, filming and, and development processes, but turn out to be really good in the end. Um, but it, but saying that, it is also often a sign that a, a film is going to end up being muddled and confused and uh, and you know kind of just a failure basically uh, that's kind of what i was expecting um, some of the things that happened in the production process were that the original directors that the guys who were originally chosen to uh, co-write and then direct the film they were fired by kathleen kennedy uh, she's the head of lucasfilm she's basically in charge of the star wars franchise uh, so the original directors were fired by by kathleen kennedy I think because they took the film in a in a kind of comedic direction and there was too much improvisation and um I can imagine that the that their version of the film would have been more of a sort of comedy with like a loose script and lots of yeah lots of improvised comedy moments and things like that. Uh Kathleen Kennedy uh fired them and um Ron Howard was brought in. Ron Howard is a director who is um, much more conventional. He's a kind of reliable Hollywood director. Um, Ron Howard, he's made films like Apollo 13, uh, Drive. Uh, what else did he do? He did the the the, um, da, the Da Vinci Code films, which apparently are terrible, but I've never seen them. Uh, but he's he's a solid uh, director who is you know reliable from a Hollywood point of view. He just makes fairly standard, solid um, films. And um, he's kind of connected to Star Wars in a weird way. Like uh, one of George Lucas's early films, which was called American Graffiti, uh, starred Ron Howard. So Ron Howard was an actor in, in one of G- George Lucas's early films. Uh, that film actually also starred Harrison Ford. So there's like this weird connection, actually, that... Uh, Ron Howard is sort of vaguely connected to the Star Wars family in in a sense. So, you know, it's quite a nice, quite a quite a, a good um, choice. And I mean, I don't know what the original version of the film would have been like, but yeah, lots of jokes. I mean, I think after the Last Jedi, which did contain lots of humour, and those moments of humour were not received very well by a lot of the audience. Lot, you know one of the things the the audience reaction told us about the humor in star wars was that the audience were like no 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 no, don't do this cheesy humor please we don't want that in star wars so lots of complaints about the humor in the last jedi i didn't mind it i thought it was all right but lots plenty of people didn't like it so maybe kathleen kennedy was like oh god no we can't do a comedy um so they changed direction went for ron howard and just sort of basically try to fix it and bring the whole project back in line. Also, there were doubts about the ability of the actor, uh, Alden, how do you say his name? Uh, Ehrenreich, I think that's how you say it. There were doubts about the ability of Alden Ehrenreich to actually pull off the performance of a character that we loved so much. How could anyone else play Han Solo? Um, I mean, you know, it's it's Harrison Ford and, you know, anyone else attempting to do that character is always going to fail. That's what we were thinking. Um, 
uh, I kept my expectations pretty low. I just thought, well, I'd like to see what happens in this film. I just want to enter the world of Star Wars again and see what it's like. And as a fan, you know, I just want to see all of the films. Uh, but I was ready to be disappointed. Uh, also, other th- other things um, that w- w- it's it's still not clear whether the film is considered to be a success or not in general. I think it's got about seventy percent on Rotten Tomatoes, which suggests that critics liked it pretty much. It's not a complete flop for for the critics. Seventy percent is all right, it's, you know, seven out of ten. But, you know, do we believe Rotten Tomatoes? What does that really mean? I mean, you know, you just, again, you, you, we saw from The Last Jedi, the response to that was that the critics loved it and gave it very high scores, but the audiences were very divided and many people hated it. Um, but anyway, if, if, you, if we still can rely on, on Rotten Tomatoes scores, this one is, you know, not bad. Um, but the film has underperformed at the box office. I'm not sure of the exact figures, but it's taken less than it should have. And it might be considered as a financial failure, possibly even losing money for the studio, uh, that's Disney, in the short to medium term. I think they kind of lost money, yeah, in the short term. The opening weekend is very important for a film, especially a big budget uh, film. Uh, uh, These films take the majority of their... Uh, money in the opening weekend and uh, Solo's opening weekend figures were disappointing I think from the studio's point of view Um, I mean I personally don't care I don't care how much money Disney's making out of this film really that doesn't bother me at all but in terms of the industry um, I think in the short to medium term Solo is considered to be a bit of a flop or a failure it's bound to make money eventually long term but the general feel is that it didn't do as well as the studio hoped. Perhaps we've all had enough of Star Wars now. Maybe we all have Star Wars fatigue. I don't. Um, but, you know, maybe the, the, the public in general is a bit fed up with Star Wars now. Too many movies, too much Star Wars. Or maybe the fan base has gone a bit weird. Um, Star Wars has always been seen as an indestructible franchise. You know, just the fact, you know, to stick any old crap Star Wars film in the cinemas and everyone will go out and see it. That's what the original thinking was. But The Last Jedi divided um, audiences with a lot of fans absolutely hating it. So maybe Solo has suffered from the so called Star Wars backlash that's been going on. But, you know, Solo isn't really like The Last Jedi. Um, I mean, maybe Solo is suffering from the, the, the sort of bad press that the, the Last Jedi got and the general Star Wars fatigue that we're, um, that we're experiencing. But Solo isn't really like The Last Jedi. It doesn't have the same subtext of progressive politics that some people didn't like about The Last Jedi. It doesn't have themes that seem to subvert the core ideas of Star Wars. Another criticism that people had... It's pretty conventional and straightforward stuff. It doesn't really mess with the the formula, the Star Wars formula too much. So, you know, I think that um, 
if it's underperforming, it's probably just because of the bad publicity it received about the troubled production process and the general levels of Star Wars fatigue that we're experiencing. Um, but I liked it. I actually liked it. I was pleasantly surprised. I didn't think it was absolutely wonderful and amazing, but I definitely liked it. And here are some of the things I liked about it. So actually, the performance of Alden Aaron uh, Reich, the actor playing Han Solo was actually really good. I thought he was charismatic. He was kind of swashbuckling. Swashbuckling means... Um, we use the word swashbuckling to describe a, a sort of charismatic action star. You can imagine someone like... Um, I mean, who's that guy? Orlando Bloom in Pirates of the Caribbean is quite swashbuckling. Um, or Errol Flynn... Uh, from many years ago as a Hollywood movie star was very was really swashbuckling a charismatic action hero so he was charismatic he was swashbuckling but he also had a kind of vulnerable side and these I think are are key things that Harrison Ford brought to the role originally these are the real key traits of Han Solo he's heroic he is charismatic he's got swagger he's really cool he's a bit arrogant but there's also something a bit vulnerable and lovable about him as well he's quite goofy and adorable but also he's capable of being quite a ruthless fighter when it's necessary Um, he's an interesting character and and the actor did a good job of hitting those main sort of character points it's not just a harrison ford impression um, he seems to, instead of kind of gone for, he, he's, he got the spirit of Han Solo. It would have been disappointing if he just tried to do an impression of, of Harrison Ford. That wouldn't have worked so well. But the actor, I think, or I guess the producers or the director or whatever, managed to get a performance that was that felt like Harrison, sorry, that felt like Han Solo, even if it didn't really sound or look that much like uh, Harrison Ford. Uh, yeah, that which was the right thing to do. Go for the spirit of the character rather than try and just copy Harrison Ford. So the performance was good, and I, I really liked the actor. I thought he was, you know, fun to watch. Uh, I also liked the world of the film. It was kind of a dirty and gritty world, especially the, 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 the scenes that take place on uh, Han Solo's home planet of, is it Corellia? I think it is. Um, dirty, gritty... Uh, grubby place and it's not all clean and shiny and perfect like the prequel films it's much more realistic Um, the visual effects were incredible as usual you know the special effects and stuff it it was amazing I mean just just the spectacle of watching um, this universe recreated or or, or realised on the big screen and the special effects and stuff, it's just a great spectacle to see. So the visual effects were great. Although the whole film was very murky. It was kind of dark. Um, some scenes, you, it was so dark, it's like you were looking through a haze. You couldn't quite see the detail in all the characters. There were lots of... Everyone seemed to be sort of um, in silhouette in some scenes. So a very murky uh, film. Um, and I don't know if that was intentional or if it was just bad cinematography, but it's very murky visuals. I personally like that. I, I quite like that kind of dark tone. I don't need everything to be brightly lit 
uh, like it, it was in the prequels. I like films that have a lot of darkness in the screen. Like, for example, I, I enjoy Clint Eastwood films, uh, you know, directed by Clint Eastwood. That he often has lots of shadow and darkness in the frame, and you don't see everything in bright contrast. You just maybe sometimes just see an outline or a or a or a um, uh, silhouette of, of a character or just half the character's face lit up uh, and the other half is in darkness I quite enjoy those things you know I, I don't need to see absolutely everything I, you know I, I, I can I enjoy um, moments where only part of the screen is lit or there's bits of shadow I don't mind that kind of stuff so I quite enjoyed the, the tone of the, of, of the way the film looked um, I also actually enjoyed the absence of Jedi and lightsabers um, were there any lightsabers? Well, there weren't. There, there wasn't a big Jedi presence, and there wasn't lots of stuff about the Force and all that sort of thing. There was none of that in there. There's a line in the original Star Wars film where Han Solo basically is saying that he doesn't believe in the Force. He's talking to Obi Wan Kenobi and Luke Skywalker, and he's saying, you know, all this stuff about the Force—it's all just myths and legends, and it's all luck. And there's, as far as I'm concerned, the most important thing is that you have a good blaster at your side, kid. That's the only thing you need is a good, good blaster, a good, you know, a good firearm. And that's kind of what you see in this film. There's no lightsabers, there's no magic, there's no Jedis, there's no force or anything like that. It's just guys uh, who are good at shooting. And that was cool. That made a nice change. I mean, I'm a fan of the Jedi and all the the lightsabers and using the force and the Jedi mind trick and all that. I love all that kind of stuff. But it made a nice change to just have, you know, a bit like an old Western movie where it was all about being quick on the draw and being able to, you know, Get your take out your blaster and you know shoot quicker than your opponent. Um, that was cool and that made a nice change. Um, it was a bit like Rogue One in that sense that you didn't get a lot of you know force related uh, force sensitive characters in there. Uh, you got the idea that people could just die. You know they weren't immortal cartoon characters with super superhuman abilities. Um, the train robbery scene which you see clips from in the trailer. The train robbery scene was amazing. I really enjoyed it. I also like the fact it came quite early in the film because it, you know, I like these big moments of action in Star Wars films. And the train robbery scene was dramatic and there was a lot of tension. Um, I, I loved particularly the, there was a big explosion at the end and the, it was just like an explosion I'd never seen before. I'd never seen an explosion like that. I think it had an amazing sound effect as well. It was just like, whoa, a massive explosion and um, really cool effects on the explosion. Um, so, yeah, I, I, after the train robbery scene, I kind of my mouth was hanging open and I was like, wow, that was brilliant. Um so I enjoyed that. Uh, although I'm not sure why the Empire needs to transport goods by train. Why is there a train in Star Wars? They have spaceships. They can fly through the air and through space quite easily, apparently. But no, in this one, they needed to take a train. So I don't know why trains even existed or exist in, in this universe. But, you know, it made for a good scene. And it made me think of old action movies and Western movies that have action scenes on trains. I mean, how many uh, uh, action films have you seen that involve 
uh, guys climbing onto the roof of a train and then sort of shooting each other and lots of drama and people nearly falling off the side of the train. And, you know, it's like um, a classic kind of a cliche from uh, cinema, isn't it? Like action scenes taking place on trains. So um, that was cool. Like a train action scene in Star Wars. That was brilliant. And it, again, made me think of Western movies, you know, cowboys and Indians and, and stuff like that. And uh, this, you know, this film was full of that kind of thing. Standard movie tropes, but in a Star Wars universe. And I liked that. It was appealing. It was appealingly old school, in a sense. It was a, a slightly smaller story, and that was appealing too. Sometimes you, you, you don't want it to be about the huge Star Wars narrative of Destiny and Darth Vader and, and the Force and stuff. So this was just a small, compact story about low-level gangsters and sometimes that's all you need. There were some geeky references to the Star Wars universe, but not too many. The The references to other uh, things that we know about Star Wars were quite subtle, like mentioning a, a character here or referring to some other event there or maybe some visual thing of like, oh, look, that's, the, that's that sort of uh, chess game from Star Wars. Oh, look, and here's a reference to Chewbacca pulling people's arms out of their sockets or whatever it is. You know, there weren't too many heavy references. The, the references were quite subtle, which was, you know, enjoyable, but not too much. Um, uh, there was nice chemistry between uh, Han Solo and, and Chewbacca. Um, uh, there are a couple of jokes which were not bad and, and pretty much in the spirit of the original films. Uh, they didn't go overboard on the humour like they did uh, in The Last Jedi, which a lot of the fans didn't like. I think that the original directors probably had a lot more humour in it. And after seeing the audience response to the humour in The Last Jedi, maybe Kathleen Kennedy decided to replace those directors for a more serious director. I think I've already made that point, haven't I? I think I have. Um, there, there is a moment when Han Solo speaks Chewbacca's language. You know, oh, can I do the impression? Uh, so he actually speaks to Chewbacca in his in Chewbacca's language. They have a conversation like that, which is subtitled, um, which um, was kind of funny, a little bit over the top, a bit ridiculous. And also it makes you think, well, if Han Solo can speak Wookiee, why did he never do it in the other films? Seems a bit like a cheap, cheap trick or a cheap joke, but it didn't ruin the film for me. I kind of enjoyed that, you know, just the, the, the idea of Han Solo. I think it's something like, yeah, yeah, we learned Wookiee at school for three years, you know, so my, my, my Wookiee's not very good. And I think he even makes a couple of like grammatical errors uh, when he's speaking. Not that I understand Wookiee, of course. I, uh, my Wookiee is basic at best. Um, Chewbacca has some badass moments of just being, you know, brilliant because Chewbacca's just awesome, isn't he? he he's got some cool moments. Um, the female character, who's called Kira, she's played by Emilia Clarke, who we know from Game of Thrones. Her character is interesting as a kind of femme fatale. 
femme fatale is a, is the word that you use to describe a female character in a film that uh, is mysterious and um the 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 lead male character is fascinated by but she's dangerous as well in some in some in some way uh so Kira is a kind of femme fatale and Amelia Clark is, is is very easy on the eye uh which just means that she's very attractive so that's pleasant from that point of view um and I found her character to be interesting because I I never knew where her loyalties were I was always thinking oh you know is she going to betray him uh is she a good goody or a baddie and there was always this sense that yeah there was this sense that she was going to betray Han and Han was sort of obsessed with her and kind of in love with her, but he couldn't really admit it. It's a bit like, um, it, you know, it made me think of like the first time you fall in love with someone when you're younger, like your first love when as a younger guy, you fall in love with a girl who might be slightly out of your league. Uh, maybe a girl who's like a bit more mature than you or something and you fall in love with her and you know that she's always going to break your heart. Um, and then she does, you know, that kind of girl. It, it just made me think of that, that uh, just this sense that this girl is dangerous. She's, you know, he loves her, but does she really love him or is she just using him for some reason? There's a lot more going on with this girl than than Han Solo realizes. So that was interesting. Uh, and it was just really enjoyable. Woody Harrelson was a dependable screen presence as ever. Uh, so, you know, good old-fashioned fun. What I didn't like, some of the things I didn't like, were the, the musical score. Normally in Star Wars, I love the music. The, the Star Wars music is classic stuff. But in this film, they I felt like they'd added too much music all through every scene. A lot of musical score. And it was kind of cheesy musical score that I got, I got the sense they felt like they had it to add... that I felt... Ugh. I felt like they felt like they had to add um, music in every scene in order to tell the audience what to think. So, like, this is an emotional scene. This is a um, this is a, a surprising scene. This is a mysterious scene. You know that the the music was a bit heavy-handed and was a bit intrusive, and I didn't need that. I don't like that in films when they like pushing, you know, while people are having a conversation and you're supposed to think, oh, okay, so this is like, I'm supposed to feel sad now because of this music. It just got in the way and it would have been nicer to just get rid of the music in some places and just hear, for example, the sound effects of, of the Star Wars universe and the sound of the engine of the Millennium Falcon, uh, you know, just let the sound effects and the contextual sound effects create a kind of soundscape instead of having all of this orchestration constantly telling us how to feel all the time. Also, I felt like they used the music because they were scared that we were going to get bored in some of the scenes. So there are some scenes that are a bit slower where there's dialogue, there's character development, and the music is still going in the background. It's just like, don't that's just really annoying me that music i don't need to be told how to feel about uh, what i'm seeing so i felt the music musical score was a bit heavy um uh there were some cheesy cliches you know all the typical movie cliches that you get in films like this i can't really remember all of them now but there are a lot of the typical movie tropes and those kind of yeah right moments moments where you kind of go oh, yeah right 
as if to say, yeah, that would never happen or that's ridiculous or that doesn't make sense or that's, that would be impossible. But, you know, again, it's just a, a, a standard sort of uh, Hollywood film. So there's always going to be that kind of thing in there. There are probably some plot holes and things that didn't make sense, but I can't really remember what they are. I remember while I was watching it kind of going, hmm, what? Really? Uh, wait, but wait a minute. You know, um, as if I was Jeff Goldblum, like, oh, wait, 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 wait a minute, where that, that, where that doesn't make sense. Um, and there's one moment when one of the characters dies, and I thought, wait a minute, why did that happen? That wasn't necessary. Why did, why did that character just die? That didn't seem necessary. It seemed to be a kind of a sacrifice for no reason, just to amp up the drama. So some kind of contrived plot points. Some of the moments uh, when they try to link this film with the wider Star Wars universe, most of the film is just self-contained and it's a small story. But there are some moments where they had to sort of remind us, this is a Star Wars film. So, you know, look, it's related to the big themes of Star Wars and it's related to the the general storyline of Star Wars. You know, like, for example, there are moments when they link this to some of the plot points in Rogue One or where they try to include some of the big Star Wars themes like the birth of the rebellion. Um, And that stuff seemed a bit forced. It felt like they were shoehorning these things in. Uh, like they forced certain big themes into the film. They forced certain big themes into the film, no pun intended. Um, It would have been better to just make it a completely self-contained film without having to connect it to the broader world of Star Wars or the birth of the rebellion and all that sort of thing. That stuff's unnecessary. Just make it about these, this handful of characters. You don't need to make it uh, referring to the broader Star Wars universe. We just want to know about the drama between this handful of characters and that would have been fine. I mean, like classic Western movies like Sergio Leone's Dollar Trilogy those spaghetti westerns with uh, Clint Eastwood, they're just about those characters in an isolated story, you know? Um, And it would have been good to do something like that. Let the audience use their imagination to fit the film in with the larger universe. You don't need to kind of contrive it so it's like, oh, look, this relates to this big thing in Star Wars. And, you know, it also, it feels a little bit like Star Wars sometimes is pushing a bigger ideological message these days. You know, and I'm I'm not sure how I feel about that. I don't think it's really necessary or or, or necessarily good for for Star Wars itself. Whereas you know some of the messages that I guess Disney are using or Kathleen Kennedy is using or whoever it is that's using some of the messages that they're using Star Wars as a medium to 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 tell us are perfectly good messages. But is it necessarily good for the films to be pushing a sort of look you know all the diverse people of the world need to rise up against the bad guy empire it feels weird especially when you realize that in the real world disney is sort of one of the most powerful corporations in the world and so essentially if anything disney are probably like the empire if if there's if there's a comparison to be made in the real world that disney as a huge corporate uh entity i mean it's more like the empire than it is like the rebellion don't you think and so it feels a bit weird for disney to be kind of pushing this narrative of 
you know all the little people need you know the little people rising up against the the powerful empire i don't know it just feels there's, there's a hint of hypocrisy in there or irony or something i don't know what it is uh, so i you know i'm not sure how i feel about that stuff um, i suppose that star wars was always about the rebellion it was always about rebelling against the empire it was the original films were basically about the struggle of local small local groups of freedom fighters against a vastly more powerful military dictatorship but that message was usually delivered a bit more subtly it was suggested in the original films these days it's like star wars needs to push this message a bit harder for some reason i don't know why that's necessary I can't go into more detail without spoiling the film. But anyway, those were my thoughts about Solo, a Star Wars story. If you've seen it, let me know what you thought. And I talked about that there just because it's something that Sammy and I discussed uh, in our conversation. Let me remind you again uh, to visit sugarsammy.com to get news of his upcoming shows, possibly in a city near you soon. Thank you very much for listening. In other news, the World Cup is going on. I really want to talk about the World Cup a lot, like I did in 2014. But I have so many episodes to upload, and I'm working on Luke's English Podcast Premium, which basically means making some episodes which I'm going to upload soon as premium episodes, and, and I'll launch it properly. Um, but, you know, I've just... So many episodes I'd like to upload, uh, talking about the World Cup, the premium content, and... I'm, you know, I usually worry in this situation when I have too much content to upload. I tend to think to myself, oh God, if I upload too much, like if I upload loads of World Cup episodes or whatever, then people won't be able to listen to it all and then they might just stop listening completely and I'll, and, you know, uh, they'll abandon the podcast. You know, as a podcaster, you have to make these decisions. You you have to be fairly careful about the way you upload your episodes. And if you upload too much, that can be kind of unhealthy for the podcast. If you don't upload enough, obviously that's unhealthy too. The fact I've got so much to say and so many things I'd like to publish is a good problem. But nevertheless, I th- you know, I'm cautious about uploading too much. Uh, you know, people might think, oh, I can't keep up and I don't really like the World Cup, so I'll just move on to something else and then I've, 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 you know, I've lost members of my audience, potentially. I don't know. You've heard me express these ideas before. What normally happens is people then jump into the comments section and they say, oh, don't worry, don't worry. Just if you've got stuff to upload, just upload it. And, we, you know, we'll never be bored of your content and things like that. So, okay, cool. Um, so... You can expect some World Cup uh, stuff coming um, soon during the tournament. Uh, but if that's not your cup of tea, or if that's, if, if that's not your World Cup of tea, then I suppose you can just skip the World Cup episodes and, and know that it's not all going to be about football forever. Okay, There will be other podcast episodes coming soon. For example, recently, I just, just the other day, I spoke to Ollie Richards for about 90 minutes so there's going to be at least two episodes of the podcast um featuring conversation with ollie richards ollie richards if you don't know uh, is an english guy who speaks eight languages and he basically makes it his business to be a, a polyglot uh, he blogs about language learning he's got a podcast called i will teach you a language which is all about his advice and tips uh, for language learning and he knows a lot about language learning he's obsessed with it 
and so he's got lots of good advice and uh, ideas and things to say on the subject and I talked to him for nearly two hours this week so I've got loads of really interesting um, content to publish uh, soon um, from my conversation with Ollie loads of really interesting conclusions about language learning and, and advice and, and reflections on, on the whole process of how we learn languages and the best things that we can do and all that stuff very very promising it was really good to, to hear him talking about it it made me really feel good about Luke's English podcast as a project because uh, many of the things he said really made me think oh wow so Luke's English podcast is you know I'm definitely doing the right thing and if you're listening to this podcast regularly that's a really healthy thing for your English so it was very um, reassuring for me you can you know you'll be able to hear that soon when I get round to uploading it that's it for this episode I'm, I must stop rambling thank you so much for listening I'll speak to you again on the podcast soon but for now goodbye bye 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 Thanks for listening to Luke's English Podcast. For more information, visit teacherluke.co.uk.